What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bike Race Weekly. I'm your host, Rick Greenwald, with my co-host. Hey, guys. This is Ryan Gerard. And Rick. Uh, sorry, I cut you off yeah, there. Yeah, you did. It's, well, it's all right. It's all right. I forgive you. Rick, what do we got going on this week? Well, this week, I think, is one of the biggest race or one of the biggest weeks in international professional bike racing. We had the Tour of Flanders last week, last Sunday, and this coming Sunday, we have the Queen of the Classics, Paris Chibet. So we're going to talk a little bit about what happened at Flanders, and then we're going to go into previewing Paris Roubaix, seeing who are the favorites, uh, what is the race going to look like, who do we think is going to win, and our general predictions on how the day is going to go. Yeah, so I got the, well, me and Anna and I yes. uh, had the luxury of being able to watch the race live. Ah, same. And I watched uh, oh, Fl- Paris Bay or Flanders. 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 Yep, I watched it live. As well. And that was one of the best races I have seen in a while. I think it's one of the one of the best Flanders that's that's been uh, raced in a while. It was super exciting. <clears throat> it was a super competitive race too. I think in the last couple of years there were like five guys, maybe not even that many, that would come into the race that were clear favorites and that could win the race bar anything like a crash happening right this time around i think there were more like 15 riders that had a really solid chance of winning and 10 that were like the heavily favorited yeah you know i think <clears throat> what i've kind of noticed is that we're in like a weird time where i think calling out like favorites almost means nothing mm. It's like there are no favorites. Like there are people you can say are going to be in like the top ten, top fifteen for sure. But it's like everybody's so close. Yeah, it's almost impossible to say who's going to win. I mean, take Flanders for example. Nobody would have guessed that Betty All would have been in the front group. No, I mean Betty All had a you know generally I think it's the person that's attacking on on the Poggio and Milan San Remo. I, I think it's kind of a, a, a tall ask for that person to also be the one that's going to be winning the Tour of Flanders. You know, mm-hmm. typically the Flanders Flanders is good for people that are really good at repeated punchy accelerations, but also good at you know navigating the the narrow streets of of um, you know Belgium and and Betty All's an Italian. I mean, I, I don't even think I'm not sure if he's even done that race in the past. If he has, he he's only 25. I think years he old. Do, he has done it, I believe. But at only 25 years old, I mean, he he has virtually you know no experience do, racing that race, mm-hmm. and it's taken a lot of professional riders years to to kind of figure out Flanders. And I think there's a lot of things that went into his win. I guess we can talk about that in a little bit, but. Um, Interestingly, like the race kicked off and there were not really a ton of big separations within the race. I think kind of around somewhere between, I think, uh, 70 to 85K, there was like a, a big split and a separation where there was like a kind of the favorites in the in the front group and then most of the, the peloton was behind. And Oliver Nassen, who was one of the favorites on AG2R, was stuck in that um, that chasing group, but his team actually helped, and, and Lotto as well, Red Lotto, uh, managed to close that gap, and after that, I mean, it was just kind of a race of attrition, would you say? Riders kind of falling off, but none of the favorites really got shelled. Yeah, you know, that's kind of the thing with a race like Flanders, is that it's just every single climb, it's like a few a few more off, a few more off. Right. And then it's, and then you get to like the end, and then, you know, they're, they do like the first run of 
the Paderberg, mm-hmm. and it's like you see a huge group fall off. Mm-hmm. And they go, they do the loop again, and it's like once they come through uh, onto the Quermont, mm-hmm. it's like that's where you see the group just get shattered. Yeah, for sure. You and I think that was really apparent when you know towards the later stage of the race, you had all the favorites there, and you had a pretty large group. But it was pretty much one rider from each team. You know, I yeah. think Quickstep had three guys in that final group. Um, but, you know, they the odds kind of played against them because they still had a lot of the fast guys in that group. So <clears throat> at the end of the day, you had, um, you know, Michael Matthews, Peter Sagan, and Alexander Kristoff in, in the lead group. So nobody really wanted to bring those guys to the line. And I think... That was Cannondale or EF Education. Um, that was their main play. You know, they didn't have a sprinter, so they they were looking for that long bomb. They actually sent Seth Venmark up the road, who is who everybody thought was the favorite. I mean, Venmark has been in the final in this race before, and you know he's a Belgian guy, so he definitely he definitely was was one of the favorites. I wouldn't say he was a, a first tier favorite because of a, a prior crash he had at E3, but he was definitely up there. <clears throat> and he really set Betty all up super nicely. Went up the road, um, you know. He was pulled back, and then uh, and then Betty all actually was kind of able to. I think did Betty all. You're actually miss, missing uh, Langevald. Oh, Langevald, yeah. Langevald actually uh, put on an attack when Sepven Mark was caught, and mm-hmm. then he was out on a breakaway for. I think like 10 kilometers or so he wasn't out there long he was only with one other guy I believe but once once he was almost caught was when Batial went off and he was just pretty much allowed off the front like nobody reacted to it Mm -hmm. yeah I think he was right behind uh, Greg Van Avermont and um, you know Van Avermont wasn't really pushing it up I think he attacked in the Paderberg you know, I think that's right. that's the issue. Um, no, he, the he right before the Paderberg. Okay, so so Van Avermont, I guess, wasn't really pushing the pace super no. hard, and Betty all just went right over the top of him and got a gap, and he just managed to hold it. You know, that's the issue with uh, Greg Van Avermaet. Uh, for those who don't know, he's the the previous gold medalist at the Olympics. Yep, he's won Paris Roubaix. He's won. A lot of the big classics. I mean, he's been in the, the yellow jersey well. at the Tour de France. He's a heavily favored. He's yeah. a heavily favored rider, especially at Flanders. I think it kind of suits his his riding style pretty nicely. And he's always he said that that's like his career goal is to win Flanders. But to be honest, I think he his talent is overestimated. You think so? Um, I think he kind of thinks of himself as being like too good of a rider that nobody's going to work with to the point where. Like we've been, I feel like we've been seeing it in every single race. He just like says, "I'm not gonna pull." Like he just feels like he doesn't have to pull if a rider goes up the up the road. I feel and it's like, almost like that's always the scenario. It's like if Greg's at right. the front, you should attack because he's not gonna do anything about it. But I also feel like that's a function of him being so good. I mean, he does have some super impressive victories, and I think that. You know, he used to be able to sneak into moves and, and maybe not work as much as some of the other riders, but now it's to the point where if he is in a breakaway or if he is in a small group, people will not work unless he's working, right? Nobody wants to go to the line with them. They don't they don't want Van Avermaet to get a free ride anywhere. So, And that's exactly what happened towards the end of the race. You had this group of about 15 favorites, 
and everybody kind of looked around. I mean, they should have. So uh, Betty all had about a, I think, right around a 20 second gap for the most part for 10K, which is, you know, not not a long distance, but it's certainly not a short one. And that group of riders should have actually, no, excuse me, it was like 20K. Yeah, he went out yeah, from pretty far because 20K. the Paderberg is 14K. Yeah. And it was right, it was about three or so kilometers before the Paderberg. Yeah. So the, the with a group of, I think, like 15 riders chasing him, they should have easily been able to close that gap. But Peterson, And it was, the gap was only like 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, I think the most it went out to was like 23 seconds, and then it didn't stay there that long. It was not yeah. much. They were... I mean, a, a few efforts, I mean, not even right. big efforts, just a few efforts by half the guys would have brought him back. And you just saw in that group, all the favorites were looking around. Peter Sagan didn't want to work. Um, Van Avermaet didn't want to work. All the, you know, nobody wants to get a, to pull anybody else to victory, right? If anybody would have, you know, made it their mission to pull back that breakaway. You also, too, had the, the issue where Quickstep had three riders in that group. None of them were really sprinters, so they could have done the work to pull Betty all back with with you know roughly twenty k or fifteen k to go. But what would they have done that for, right? They would have pulled them back, and then they would have lost in the field sprint, you know. You know, but they could have done it too, where they started a chase. You know, uh, Lotto had two guys in there. I mean, that's, that's five guys. You know, if if they had two guys chasing and then the one one lotto guy i mean you could have at least done that to get one guy up to him that's true you know i, I mean, feel like yeah, that's, you, that's having three guys three out of like 15 they could have when, brought the gap down yeah, least, I think. yeah they had the best chance of doing something and i mean they did do something right. they got and, second place and, on another breakaway right and and you could argue too that they made the right move because they played their their card and they sent um uh, what's his name? He's a uh, kind of a uh, yeah, I got un- it right here. He's a pretty young guy. I think he's 24, 25 years old on Quick Step. Casper um, Asgreen. Casper Asgreen. They sent him. Up I'd the never road. heard of him. No, I think it was his first time racing Flanders. They sent him up the road. Twenty four years old. He's, yeah, he's my super age. super young. And for uh, for an up, uh, uh, you know, over two hundred fifty kilometer race to perform that well is pretty insane. But you know, they sent him up the road with I I, I want to say it was like ten k to go. And he kind of hung out in no man's land. You know, he beat the field, but he couldn't quite get to Betiel. I mean, Betiel had still a 20-second gap at that point. It wasn't going to come down over 10K. No. Um, but, I mean, yeah, they, they still got second place. I'm sure that's not the result that Quickstep wanted, especially with how dominant their season's been so far. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think they're they're probably happy that they came away with something. Yeah. Right? And I got to say, too, by Cannondale, I mean – they were the ones that really played that well. Oh, even after, even once, you know, Betty All was on a break. Uh-huh. The other two guys didn't stop working. They were always second wheel. So yep. as soon as someone pulled off, you would just see them stop pedaling, yep. and all of a sudden, like the group would come to a halt. They shut down every move. Anybody that tried to get off the front, I mean, that anybody was just going to pull another Cannondale rider into a into a two-on-one breakaway. So they played they played the the team card super yeah. super well. And the fact they had that they had three riders in the finale uh, was pretty impressive. I mean, that's Cannon, the best they've done in years. And yeah, I wouldn't call that a fluke win at all. I mean, I think that was really well orchestrated. Cannondale has like had a pretty tough last couple seasons, so to pull off a huge win like Flanders, which they have never won before, even under prior iterations like Garmin Sharp um, or, or you know, just you know the the Argyle 
Green Cannondale never won that race. And I don't even know how close they've gotten, but I don't think it's been that close. So yeah, kudos to them for winning the race. One thing you brought up uh, earlier off mic was the fact that it's almost, you can always kind of tell what team's going to be doing really well. They always get the a man in the mid-race breakaway. Yeah, that mid-race move, yep. And then have like a few guys just stay on the back of the major groups that are trying to chase that breakaway. Mm-hmm. And when that split happens, have a few guys always there doing no work. So once that break does get caught, you have two fresh guys to then continue countering. Yeah. And especially in a race like Flanders, where Cannondale did this exact thing. They had a guy in the mid-race breakaway, yep. and then they sent a guy off the right. front every yeah. single time Always it on came offense. back. Always on offense. Yeah, and then it's all yeah. of a sudden it's three against 15. I think that's why Quickstep has struggled in both Flanders and Ghent, is because in the last couple races, I mean, you saw this with both Bob Youngles and Zidane Stebar. They were able to put a rider in that late race breakaway, and then they would have one or two more riders in the chase group. So you're completely taking pressure off everybody, right? Stebar is not going to work, and I'm thinking of E3 specifically, right, where they won. That was the last race that those guys won. Stebar just sat in the in the breakaway with Greg Van Avermont, Betial, and uh, I forget the fourth rider in there. Um, uh, I forget who that rider was, but there was another rider. Um, Stebar had to do no work, and then he had Gilbert in the chasing group and Bob Youngles. Oh, Bob Youngles was in that group with him. But yeah, I mean, um, and we saw it in Gent-Webblegum where, uh, you know, they tried to just control the race for, for Viviani, and it just didn't work out. They missed the mid-race move with, like, all the favorites in it, and they had to pull it back using all their energy. And yeah, you saw it happen in Flanders, too. They were just kind of on defense the entire time. I think they were trying to possibly set up Stebar for... You know, like uh, uh, an aggressive attack on the Paderberg, but he actually got shelled out of that lead group with a decent amount of race to go. So, yeah, I think they they uh, those teams do best when they're on offense, and that was definitely yeah. Cannondale. They have they have like the best overall riders. So when they use those numbers to get be in the front group, yep, I think that's when they do their best, not when they try to race these yeah like race these classics like it's sprint stage and a normal tour yeah uh, yeah for sure i I totally agree with that were there any major surprises at uh at flanders for you um one big surprise i that i saw during the sprint peter sagan went from second place like in the sprint to 11th place like Mm -hmm. instantly like he just died which is interesting because he really wasn't doing that much work in that that final group yeah what do you think of peter sagan right now i think he's not having a good year i i know he's talked openly about getting sick uh on the heels of an altitude camp but is that still like an excuse uh, i mean you know it's probably i don't know it's probably affected his his form coming into the Mm -hmm. season but you know, I mean, I guess it's, it's hard question. to say how much it did affect him. Yeah. But I feel like it's every single week we're getting farther and farther away from that. But yeah. it's still like a, I got sick. Well, and you know, I think too, there's probably it's probably more than just getting sick. I know there's been a lot of like personal stuff going on in his his life over the past year too. So I think you know sometimes people just have an off year, and we've seen it in most pro riders. Like nobody's dominant from. From you know their neo pro years through the last year of their career, um, Sigan's really not that old. He's like what early thirties. So I think he's only like 
28. He's, he's close to 30, so in yeah. no way is he, he's is still he pretty even young. on the later part of his career. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just chalk it up to not having a good year. And I think, too, like he he doesn't seem like he quite has the snap of, of prior years. And, and maybe that's because he's won all these races before and he's, he's not as interested. But, I'd, yeah, I'd agree. I was also surprised with how Peter Sagan did in the final. I think it's definitely something to say like the motivation of a guy like him who's already won everything yep. how do you stay motivated to continue winning things you've won multiple times we'll see how he does in the Ardennes classics coming up yeah those he hasn't won before i think he's got he's shown some interest in doing well in those races and he's shown that he can do well in those races so that's definitely something to keep our eye on in the next couple of weeks i think something that was really surprising i think there are two things that were super surprising in flanders one was um, Matthew Vanderpool. I mean, we've known how how good he is. He was one of the favorites coming into this race, was kind of, which is kind of amazing because he's never done the race before, and he's again very young. But the fact that he crashed hard with 60k to go, dropped from the main group, and just rode through groups to get back to the lead group is kind of incredible. And then took fourth place. Right after a huge crash. I mean. When I, I don't know about you, but when I saw him crash, he held his right arm, and I thought he broke a collarbone. Mm-hmm. And then even riding back to the groups, he was kind of wiggling it like he didn't feel right. He and probably bruised, like got a deep bruise on it at yeah. least. And this was this was right before some of the gnarliest cobbled climbs in the history of cycling, like the Paderberg and the mm-hmm. Guermont are brutal climbs. I've never we've never ridden them before, but you've just I've heard stories of people you know, recreational cyclists just trying to ride up them. And you've got to, like, take some speed into those climbs. Oh, yeah. They're super tough. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about cobbles that people don't realize is that, like, everything is pushing against you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like riding on, like, a brick road. Or a bumpy road. Yeah. It's it's every single pedal stroke you feel like you're just being pushed back. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes them so difficult and so hard to ride on is that, it's like trying to break your bike while trying to stop you at the same time. Yep. And that's why they say, like, you know, people. some people look like they just float over the cobbles because they know how to maneuver through the cobbles and how to, like, ride, keep their body loose while they ride, while other people are just so tense, you know, and they're mm-hmm. hitting every single big bump. You know, they can't keep momentum. Like, it's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. And Vanderpool definitely falls into that camp of floating over the cobbles. Yeah, especially from his success in cyclocross. Yeah, for And, sure. I mean, even in cyclocross, they race on those cobbles. Yeah, they, they do races that go up those exact climbs. So he's got experience there. Um, I think something else that really surprised me was Michael Matthews uh, making it into that final group and being there for the sprint. I, I don't remember exactly how he did. Um, well, what impressed me, because uh, I actually remember commenting to Anna, I was like, oh man, that's Michael Matthews. He used to be really good, because as I was saying that, he was actually getting dropped by the main group. Yeah, he actually fought back on to to make it into that lead group. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, I think he, he definitely suffered in that race, and I don't know how he did in that like group finish, but I'm pretty sure he didn't have a whole lot of gas to sprint from. But I still thought it was pretty impressive. I mean, that doesn't seem... Michael Matthews is a super punchy mm-hmm. rider, um, and he definitely... He does really well in some of the kind of rolly sprint stages, but to see him be able to hang with some of the big classics guys on the Tour of Flanders, I thought was 
it was pretty impressive. I don't I don't know if he's riding Roubaix. I kind of think he he might be because well, I, I can think, tell you because I have the oh, okay. list up right so, here. So being on Team Sunweb, I don't think they have a much of a classics team. No. So Michael Matthews, their peer tour. G- GC, yeah. Tom Dumoulin. Yep, that's their main ambitions. Which is kind of rough. I think that's why we don't hear as much about him in recent years since he did really well in the Tour de France. Yeah. It's because. Jersey winner. He, yeah. And I think he's in a, uh, a limbo stage where it's like he doesn't really have anyone that works for him. So, no, yeah. he, won't be, he won't be at Roubaix. Yeah, and I'm not surprised with that one. I mean,. Roubaix is a, a different race than Flanders. Um, How do you feel about... Um, well, I'll get to that when we talk about Roubaix. Sure. But, yeah, so he, and so he got dropped from the main group near the end of the race. Yes. Fought back, got back on, and then sprinted for sixth place. Which is impressive. Like, yeah. So he got fourth in that bunch sprint because there were two riders mm-hmm. ahead of him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I... Michael Matthews, Bling, Bling Matthews gets a bit of hate sometimes, but overall, I'm a, I'm a fan. You know, I, I like the guy, and I think he he definitely, you know, when he's on it, he's on it. Like, he's a super impressive rider. But yeah, I think we've talked a, quite a bit about Flanders. Super exciting race. I, like I said, I think it's been one of the best additions in oh, yeah. the last couple of years. Like, from from the, you know, the last two hours when I, when I tuned in, I thought it was just a really, really good race to watch. Um, but let's talk now about Paris Roubaix. So one thing I want to say before we talk about it, because sure. this this is in re- regards to Flanders and Roubaix. Okay. I know that everybody says like they want like a rainy and muddy like Flanders and Roubaix. I prefer a nice sunny day. Yeah, you know, I to be honest, I'm on the same page with you. So people love they, there's like so many iconic photos and. And videos of a just disgusting Roubaix because you know it's it's the the gnarliest cobbles and then they get muddy too right so the thing I the thing I they're all taken out and a lot of the time it's just who has the best luck and who has the the best ability to stay upright and I guess I don't know I mean I mean that's that's an interesting race I'm not gonna say it's not an interesting race it's it, I would love to watch a muddy Roubaix but the racing has just been so good this year and so tight in the men's field that I'm just genuinely interested, uh, you know, at a, at a relatively level playing field, you know, a clean Roubaix, who's going to ride it the best. So that's that's why this year I want a nice sunny Roubaix. I, I just yeah. want to see who comes out on top. I just think I just think it's been a really great year for racing. I wouldn't mind if it was a muddy Roubaix, though. I think it would still be pretty fun to watch. I like sitting down with my coffee and just imagining being in nice weather while watching yeah. it on TV because it's supposed to like rain and snow on Sunday. Well, and I think a lot of us, uh, like I know you and I, we've done we've done bike races in the terrible weather, and sometimes I watch races and I can just think back to like some of the worst. You can races. feel like you're there and you're yeah. like, man, it's, this I, is miserable. It's like a it's like a feeling of empathy for the riders. It's like I've raced a terribly freezing crit. And that was 45 minutes. This must be awful. Yeah, doing like seven hours. Seven hours in in the pouring rain or freezing temperatures. Sounds pretty miserable. You got to feel real bad for the guy that's like an hour and a half down too. Like the guy who comes in like last. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, like, I'm going to finish Roubaix. Who's like making it a seven and a half hour, eight hour Roubaix. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think the, the one question is... 
Alberto Betiel. He won Flanders. Is he racing Roubaix? Do we no. know that yet? He's not we racing don't. Roubaix. Does that surprise you? Um, yeah. No, uh, I'm sorry. No, it doesn't surprise me. Because I'm sure that they had the Roubaix team already planned like a few weeks ago. But Betiel is also a smaller rider. You know, like he's not... I would say he's not, you know, he's not a, a tiny, teeny climber, but, and obviously he's a, a build that can win Flanders, but I think he would just get absolutely bounced on the cobbles. Well, a few years ago when, um, I, I forget, uh, Uran, uh, oh, Rigoberto, his, Rigoberto Uran, Uran took mm-hmm. second place in the Tour de France. 2017, yeah. Yes. He was his main lieutenant or teammate yes. who helped him in the mountains. Right, so it would be a huge ask for somebody that can be one of the top climbers in the in the Tour de France to also be one of the best riders in Paris Roubaix. Those are yeah. those are different ends of the spectrum, right? I, yeah, see, I think, we typically uh, see bigger and heavier riders. Peter Sagan, uh, you know, Greg Van Avermaet, even though he's not that much bigger. While Van Aert, I know, is a very strong Roubaix rider. Um, even Kristoff, I think Kristoff coming into this weekend is probably one. of He's the a big dude. Very big dude. He's got like a a, uh, a dad bod. He, maybe a little bit, right? He's got like a uh, you know late mid late thirties dad cyclist bod. We'll he's got a dad that. cyclist bod. Dad cyclist bod. He's, if he just he's showed up, I think maybe he's embracing the master's bod. Yeah, someday you know, he's yeah. gonna show up to group rides in yeah. a pair, in a Perlazumi fluorescent kit. Yeah, and nobody's gonna know who he is. You know, he's gonna settle nicely into the uh, only flat crits kind of masters racer post retirement, <laughs> right? Can't aren't we all excited for that for that life? <laughs> but uh, I think Flanders actually suits someone almost more like that, a little bit of a lighter guy. Yeah, just because they those can climbs float are, up those climbs. Those climbs are so like, such a big part of that race that. If you don't, you, you could be a bigger guy, but if you miss one climb, it's like you're done. So if For you can sure. be a little bit of a lighter guy, kind of suffer on the the cobble, cobbled parts, but make it over the climbs mm. and until you get to the roads, right. I think you do pretty well. So Roubaix is largely a flat race. I mean, I'd say it's pretty much a, a pan flat yeah. race. The differentiator is, of course, the cobblestones and the cobble sectors, which are rated, I think, on a scale of like one to five, I think. Um, and something like that. Something like that. And which ranges from like pretty irritatingly bumpy to somebody basically tossed a bunch of bricks out of a yeah. moving car. And it's they essentially call just potholes. Potholes. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a pothole path, right? So it's, it's a much different race in Flanders. We in the last couple of years, I think we've seen some similar faces in the lead or final groups. Mm-hmm. Um, most notably, I would say I'd say coming into this race, you've got your obvious favorites. You've got Greg Van Avermaet, the 2017 winner, winner, Peter Sagan, the 2018 winner. Seth Van Mark manages to consistently make those top groups on Cannondale, um, and then you've also got. So I think those are you know I I don't know about you Ryan, but I would say. Sagan or Van Avermont, those are those are some of the higher favorites. I've seen Wout Van Aert also pop up as one of the favorites for this race. He was in the lead group last year going into the velodrome uh, behind the breakaway of Stefan Dillier and Peter Sagan, and then I think he dropped chain or got a flat tire. Something happened to him, and I think he finished 15th, something like that. Yeah, I'm going to say this right away. I don't think 
Van Avermaet takes top five. You don't think so? Nope. Like so I said you, before, what is different this year than 2017? Um, honestly, like like I said, I think it's his ego. You know, I don't think he's willing to put work in when people get up the road, and he gets kind of stuck in that where it, it all of a sudden it's once the big guns aren't willing to work, it's almost like nobody else is going to work because it's like it's kind of like a you know he's got to be in a winning move or else he's. Yeah, it's just kind of a, a, a cycle of that guy's not going to work and I'm not going to pull him because if, I, am I, if I'm the only one pulling, I'm going to lose. But to them, him, it's like I'm not going to pull these guys to the line because they're just going to sit on me and they're not going to help. So it's kind of like a t- tug of rope where all of a sudden the guy up the road's too far. Yeah. You know? And I, I mean, he's stuck in that little bit of limbo where he's he's just stuck in his ways of I'm just not going to work. I mean, I, I still think that's just the curse of being a favorite where Van Avermont doesn't want to work because he pulls everybody else to victory and he'd rather just sit in the group and not contribute. I think the biggest difference is 2017, BMC had a much stronger Classics team. They had Daniel Oss at the team on, uh, on the team at the time and some other, you know, uh, pretty important lieutenants for Ben Avermont. He, I mean, in the last couple of races, he's basically had nobody from CCC able to help him out. He's pretty much been alone in the last couple of races, which goes exactly back to your point. You know, once he's isolated and something goes up the road, he's not going to work to bring it back, and he has no teammates to work to bring it back. Uh, I, I'm going to agree with you. I maybe would say he's a, he's got a chance of getting top five, but I agree, I, I wouldn't expect him to win. Um, it's. I like that you brought up Daniel Oss because he's Peter Sagan's teammate, and yes. he Peter Sagan says he owes a lot of his wins to Daniel Oss as well. So, do you think with Sagan not going super well this year, there's a chance that maybe he sets it up for Daniel Oss? No, you don't. Think I don't so? think so. I don't think uh, Daniel Oss is that kind of rider that goes for like wins. You know, mm-hmm. I think he's just a guy who's just willing to put in a lot of work for someone else. He's probably got he's a, very content with it. Dan, yeah, Daniel Oss is he's he's a diesel, right? He's a motor. He can bring back the brake. He can he can weld together groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd agree with that. You know, he he's a kind of rider that can probably make the lead group at Paris Roubaix and make the final. But I don't think you're going to see him putting in the blistering attack that's going to lead to him coming to the velodrome alone. Yeah. Right? So, uh, well, we've kind of talked then about you know some of the favorites on paper. We've talked about, um, you know, generally what we think of those favorites. But what about what about your favorites? Who do you think um, is going to come away? Let's go. I want to hear who you think is going to win and then who you think is going to be on the podium. Well, I so, guess those are the same things, right? I think it kind of comes down to do I think it's going to be a breakaway or, or do I think it's going to be a sprint? Mm-hmm. If it's a breakaway, I definitely think it's going to be a quick step person. Do you think there's a chance that it could be one person going into the velodrome? Yes. You think so? And yeah. if, if who do you think would be that person? Like a Stednek Stebar or like a Philippe Gilbert. You think Quick Step's gonna do the classic quick step and yes. load load that lead group mm-hmm. with three riders that can potentially just attack, right? Well, I mean, they're guys right now, Philippe Gilbert, Zednek Stebar, Casper Asgreen, just those three guys alone. I think all three of those guys get in the main group. You know, mm-hmm. and then they have three other guy, four other guys who put in the work early in the race. Mm-hmm. 
I think they do really well. I don't think there's any other team that can compete with that. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that slightly, only because I think Quickstep has a a really strong team on paper, but I think the only person that can really ride those cobbles super well is Zidane Stebar. Mm-hmm. I think Philippe Gilbert and I think Philippe Gilbert has the potential to make the lead group, but I I think it's kind of a toss up. He's not as good of a cobbles rider, although he's definitely not not a slouch. And then Casper Asgren being so young, I don't think he, I don't think he's ever raced Perrier Bay before. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. But that's just my general feeling on Quickstep. I I really I put a little stock in Quickstep on this race. I don't think they have a chance of winning unless Stebar can just kind of snake his way with one other teammate or two other teammates into that lead group. I think Wood Van Art takes top three. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And then that last spot is really all over the place. I I almost don't know. I really don't. If it gets to a sprint, I think pretty much all the main guys mm-hmm. come in in a big group of like eight, and I think Kristoff wins that sprint. I yep, I totally agree with that. I actually think Kristoff is my pick for the win. Yeah. I think he's just on something this year. Like he's just going really well. He won Ghent. He was a really strong presence in um uh Flanders. You know, I think he was there in the lead group. I think he's got Gaviria in this race with him, but I think Gaviria is there if I'm not mistaken, I believe Gaviria is in this race. I'm looking it up right now. All right. I think Gaviria is not necessarily there for a support. I think he's more so there to follow wheels. I think both of those riders are kind of riding for themselves. I think Gaviria is the, let's make that lead group, and if it comes back together, win the field sprint. And I think Kristoff is the, I'm going to follow some of the attacks later in the race and try to make it into the velodrome with a small group of riders. And I agree, if there's a small group of riders, I think Kristoff has the, the ability to win that sprint. See, I don't see Gaviria even being in contention. I would Honestly, I, I'd agree with that. He made the lead group at Ghent, um, but I would be quite surprised if he managed to honestly still be in the race at the halfway mark. It surprises I, I, me that he's racing Roubaix. I think he's got the a the Colombian ability. sprinter. I think he's got the ability to be a good classics racer. I think he just needs some time to develop that a little bit, um, to develop you know racing on the cobbles and racing these these uh, you know these flat classics. But you know maybe in a couple of years he can kind of do what Peter Sagan did and really like transform himself mm-hmm. into a, a dominating classics rider. So I have a question for you before you give us your other. Um, favorites. Yep. What do you think of John Degenkolb and the Trek team? Wolfman. I mean, they're they're on a, a hard year. Uh, they did not even have a single rider in the lead group in Flanders. I mean, that's pretty bad, right? With how big that lead group was, very surprised. I mean, Mads Pedersen got second in Flanders last year and just kind of motored behind Nicky Terpstra. Um, I, I'm really confused as to kind of what's going on. I mean, John Dagenkolb, I don't think, is riding terribly. I don't think Flanders is a great race for him, but I, I was quite surprised to not see um, Mads Pedersen there. You know, I'd really love to see Dagenkolb do well in this race. He did win 
the Roubaix version of the Tour de France race. And he's won Roubaix in 2015. Yeah, but it just seems like he has not been in any of the lead groups of any race this season. Ghent, he's been there. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to have to be a relatively large finishing group for Degenkolb to be there. I mean, he can definitely ride the cl- the cobbles. Um, this race, for sure, suits him better than Flanders, I think. But I, I, to be honest, with the way the truck team is going, I think two things happen. One of two things happens. They completely turn it around and really kick it into gear for this race, and they pull out a win, or they don't even have a rider in the top 15. Yeah, I, I agree. I think one or the other, and I, I lean closer to the latter because just with the way the season's been going for him, I can't see them pulling out a great result. Yeah. Honestly, I want to see John Duggan call win. I would love to see John Duggan That would be cool. Win. I really yeah. like him. I, I think, think he's a very... Good personality. Yeah. He's he's a humble... He seems like a pretty humble guy, too. And, I mean, he's a... You know, he's a he's a super talented rider. I mean, he's he won Milan-San Remo and Paris-Roubaix in the same year, in 2015. He had a really good season. So, he, he was part of that really horrific... Uh, training accident that happened, I think, in Argentina. He lost a finger. Lost a, Did he lose a finger? He lost a finger, yeah. He lost yeah. a finger, wow. He got it sewn back on. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't remember seeing he, a finger. He did was, lose a finger. It was, like, mostly off. Yeah, so and yeah. So it took him... I mean, I think he's still coming back from that. And, you know, he's not super young anymore. I think he's early-ish 30s. I want to say 32, 34. 30, 32, 32 to 34, somewhere in there. So he's definitely not, you know, he's not super young anymore. So I, I wouldn't say he's got a, a huge ceiling to push with talent, but he's an awesome rider. I would definitely like to see him win. Um, who is like your dark horse for Roubaix? Who's like, your, who's your, I want to hear your, not even your second tier, but like your third tier pick that you think can win this race. My third tier pick is honestly my third tier pick or is maybe, almost maybe, Peter Sagan. Maybe a second, really? For yeah. I mean, Sagan's a second tier pick. At, at at least, right? I, I really I don't see him... Oh, I mean, I should I'm, say... Okay. I'm not talking about... Sagan's a first-year pick, to be honest. Okay. I mean, who is, like, your, your outside shot that could win the race? Like, uh, Luke Rowe or Owain Duel? I would love to see Luke Rowe win, win, uh, win Paris-Roubaix. I think he's a second-tier pick, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, I, I think uh, it would be really interesting. I mean, I would think it would be really cool if Taylor Finney one Roubaix I mean he got eighth last year we talked about this a little bit earlier I don't think he's just been the same rider the last few years mm-hmm. and you know he he made it to eighth place last year largely just following the wheels and staying with that lead group but you know for him to win I think it basically has to be a, a two-up sprint or solo into the velodrome yeah the other one would be um I'm sorry, I'm, I just lost his name because I'm looking through this list right now. Okay, Taylor Finney. Who I just said. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was just talking about Taylor Finney for the past two minutes, Ryan. I totally spaced Thanks out there because I was, looking for, I was looking for his name on the Great list co-host. and I wasn't listening to you, Well Rick. done, well done. That's fine, I forgive you. Um, yeah, Taylor Finney I think would be a really interesting win. Tiege Benute. I think would be. A I was gonna say win. him, but then I thought you were gonna say he's not a third tier. No, no, he's definitely a third tier. I don't think so. He's been up in the front group. I mean, he's won Strada Bianchi before, but Roubaix is is. I mean, he's not a. He's kind of a, a skinnier. I don't. I don't want to say small, but like 
he doesn't he doesn't strike me as a Roubaix winner. He strikes me as somebody that can possibly do well, but I think it would be a, a kind of crazy series of events would have to happen for him to win the race. I think that dude's got grit. Oh yeah, grit for sure. Which makes him not a third tier character to me. Second tier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Second tier. I'll, I'll third, give you second tier. I the third tier is I think for a third tier uh, rider to win the race, it would have to be a super muddy, super rainy. Yeah. I mean, third tier is like from a continental or a pro continental team. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I guess I don't really think that there's necessarily any third tier contenders for this race. Sure. All right. Well, that's. I think it's mostly Ruben, right? Super excited yeah. to watch it this weekend. Um, so, it's Sunday morning in Sunday morning. America time. Mm-hmm. I think it start typically starts around six a.m. It usually finishes around eleven a.m. Yeah, something like that, mm-hmm. give or take an hour or so. And Ryan, while we're on the topic of Roubaix, we are actually going to be racing a Roubaix of our own. Yeah, which is uh, we're going to be at Cheesehead Roubaix yes. in uh, Wisconsin. It's in between, I believe, like West Bend and Grafton. Mm-hmm. Um, that is April twenty seventh, I believe. I think you're right. It's or a Saturday, maybe 28th. Yeah, it's the last weekend of April. Yeah, last Saturday of April. Yeah, and uh, 60 mile uh, gravel road race. It's only 10 kind miles like a, of gravel. Kind of like a sportif, I would call it. Yeah, like a competitive, competitive sportif. Competitive sport, sportif. It's a free ride race. I've heard cool things about it. It's yeah, it's it's. I mean, every, you do it on a road bike. There's like a small. 10 mile chill gravel section so yeah I, th- I believe it's actually for raising money for a fire department oh cool which is a good cause it's a good cause it's not USA sanctioned which is something we love we love it it's it's so much cheaper you know there's there's no prize money also something we love yeah and I mean look at that that's all you gotta do it's to make a race do. free and people are stoked about it yeah I'm telling you this is the future I believe there's like 150 people who've on their Facebook page yeah. who've said that they're going to be there. So I always think the people at RSVP on Facebook is like a quarter of the people. So I bet there's going to be like maybe 500 people. I yeah. don't know. That's a guess. There's going to be a lot of people there who, you know, they just go look at the Facebook group and they don't... Show up. Well, no, no they don't like sh- kind of point out if they're going or Oh, not. yeah, for sure. For sure. Also, I think a third, at least a third of the people who say they're going don't go. That's true. Good point. All right. Well... I think that's it, Ryan. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up this week? Uh, that's it. We'll talk a little bit more about Cheesehead Roubaix in the future. Yeah, next week we'll next week we'll recap what happened at Paris Roubaix, and then we'll talk about Cheesehead Roubaix and give a little bit more insight into that event. Yeah. But in the meantime, uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, that's where you're going to see our episodes posted. Follow us on Instagram, Bike Racing Weekly. We're going to be posting about, you know, some of our upcoming episodes and, you know, as the race season starts, also some of the stuff that we've got going on personally, which is pretty cool in the in the Wisconsin race scene. Um, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. You know, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher for the Android and be uh, or leave us a leave us a comment and review. You know, we love to hear how we're doing and what people like, what people don't like, and how we can continue to improve the podcast. Yeah. Go follow us on Facebook at Bike Race Weekly. That is always where we post our new episodes, so you can check that out, stay up to date. Um, And we're also on Instagram at Bike Race Weekly as well. Go check us out there. Ryan, I just said all this. 
did you say you just said where you could find us on podcast places. Oh, I feel like you don't listen to me. It's fine. I don't. I'm don't. I'm tired. I know what I feel like. No, you don't listen to me. That's fine, everybody. You've got our social medias. You've got where you can like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast network. Until next time, this is Bike Race Weekly. I'm Rick. That's Ryan. We'll see you next time.